Uh, the United States and China have much to do together, quite frankly, because our relationship was literally going to help shape the, uh, the 21st century. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Jacob Goldstein. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Friday, March 2nd, and that was Vice President Joe Biden you heard at the top. Today on the podcast, we find a giant pool of money, trillions of dollars on the streets of Beijing. We talk to two people who've helped bring all that money to China, and we ask when all those dollars might be coming home to the United States. The third and final podcast from our trip to China coming up, but first, the Planet Money Indicator from Zoe Chase. Hello. Today's Planet Money Indicator, $530 billion. The European Central Bank loaned 530 billion euros to Eurozone banks this week through their new lending program. And that's obviously a big number, right? But it's just the half of it. This is actually the second installment in the lending program. The first bundle of loans came out in December. Banks borrowed another 500 billion or so then. So when you put these two things together, you have over a trillion euros in loans going out to Eurozone banks in the past couple months. Zoe, so this is obviously a huge amount of money. And, right. and Zoe, I, I did an indicator about that first bundle of loans back in December. And I know then what people were saying was they hoped banks would take some of this money from the European Central Bank and turn around and lend it out to some of those European governments that were having such a hard time borrowing money. Is that actually what's happening? Yes, this seems to be what's happening. And particularly in Italy and Spain, the Italian and Spanish banks seem to be going to their governments and lending them money to be buying their debt right after they get these loans from the European Central Bank. So in a sense, you know, if we go back to the fall, what we heard was everybody saying, why doesn't the European Central Bank start lending money to these governments? And and what it seems like is in a sense through this program, they're sort of doing that in this weird roundabout way. Is that a fair way to think about it? Yeah, it's they're basically reaching around across the bank to tap the shoulder of the government. Thanks, Zoe. My pleasure. OK, on to the podcast. So a lot of people... When they go on a tour of China, you know, they want to see the Great Wall or they want to see the Forbidden City. But our trip, it was, a, it was an econ nerds tour of China. And no econ nerds tour of China would be complete without a visit to China's giant pool of money. It's at China's central bank. So one cold night when we were in Beijing, we went out to see it. That's the giant pool of money. There it is. We came a long way. It's in that building right in front of us. It's the People's Bank of China. How big is the giant pool of money these days? Let me read to you from a document I have in my hand. From the People's Bank of China, conveniently published in English, the dramatic title, Financial Statistics, Q1 through Q3 2011. China's foreign exchange reserves stood at U.S. $3.2017 trillion. <laughs> trillion dollars right here. We're here. We made it. The amazing thing is that the giant pool of money gets bigger and bigger every year. Every year, this giant pool of money gets even more giant. And that, at some point, that can't continue. It can't continue. I mean, even earlier this year, even the head of China's own central bank said, you know what? We got too many dollars. Enough already. Enough already with the giant pool of money. Jacob, central banks all around the world, you know, they hold U.S. dollars, but nowhere near this much. This is extraordinary. The podcast today is going to be about this extraordinary pool of money, how it got to China, and why it's a problem for both China and the U.S. To tell this story, we're going to hang out with this guy. He has a lot to do with how all those dollars got here. 
<laughs> this is Jackie Jung. I, I swear I'm not tickling him. He laughs like this all the time. It's quite charming. And let me take a minute and just introduce you to him. Jackie, like hundreds of millions of Chinese people, he grew up on a farm. In his case, there were six kids in a two-room house. There was no hint he would one day be a symbol of China's economic growth, helping the country accumulate a giant pool of dollars. What he remembers from those early days, he remembers being lazy. I was very, very lazy. Yeah, you are. Really lazy. Yeah, <laughs> you told me your sister carry you, right, to the school. Uh, yes. Every day. <laughs> Till grade two. Till second grade, one of your sisters carried you, you to my, school? I never work. <laughs> on, on their back? You'd, like, climb yeah, on their yeah. back? Yes, because I have four uh, uh, elder sisters. <laughs> I knew my position. His sisters carried him to school every day because he was the only boy. That woman you heard in the background there, by the way, that's Jackie's colleague, uh, Rosalia Yang. We'll be hearing more from her in the story as well. Today, Jackie's a manager of a huge export company. He does well. He's got a few houses. He owns a share in a brick factory somewhere. And he flies all over the world on business. And here's what Jackie and Rosalia have to do with the trillions of dollars we went to see in Beijing. Their company, it's called the Zhaonian Group. It sells all kinds of stuff to customers all over the world, including one thing you might have at home, imitation wood flooring. To see why imitation wood flooring leads to trillions of U.S. dollars at China's central bank, we went to the factory where the flooring is made. Thankfully, Rosalia drove. I feel like it's like a car whirlpool. We're driving out to the edge of Shanghai, where all the factories are, and you feel like this is the place where everything on the planet gets made. If there's a place that feels like this in the U.S., I've never been there. There are these trucks coming and going from the factories everywhere, and they're just totally overloaded with stuff. It's just hanging over the side of these trucks. This truck looks like it's about to tip over. Yeah, uh that's why I say I I need to be driving faster and passing. Going straight. You're going to drive under that overhang of that truck? Oh, that's very scary. I definitely wouldn't want it to hit the roof of the car. Oh, no. I'm going to go to this side. This is very scary. Okay, I'm going to go to that side. Now we are here one piece. I'm sorry. We get out of the car. There's this little parking lot. And Rosalia takes us into the factory. The building is huge. It looks like a warehouse or something. It's a giant open space with a cement floor. There are big signs on the wall. We ask our translator, Lynn, to read them for us. What does it say on the wall? It's just slogans motivating people to work harder. It says there's no perfect individuals, only perfect teams, for example. That one says. What does the other one say? Um, that one says uh, the prosperity of the factory is my honor and um, the failure of the factory is my shame. We get to the factory late in the day when they're shutting down, so there are only a few workers there. But in the middle of the room, there's this big machine. And out of the machine comes what looks like a plank of wood, except it's a plank of wood from an infinitely tall tree. It just keeps going and going and going, like the entire length of the factory. This is the plastic decking that we've come to see. And we ask Rosalia, give us the sales pitch. Tell us why, if we're going to build an outdoor deck in the U.S., why should we buy this? She says the main advantage of this fake wood is... That it's fake. First, it's anti-termite. Anti-termite. Yeah, anti-termite. Termites don't like to eat no, plastic. They don't like, no. So it's great for California. And it's uh, fire resistant because it won't catch fire. We you do, have, do you have a lighter here? Uh, uh, we're going to demonstrate for you. Okay, you have a lighter here? 
It won't catch fire. Yeah, it's like an unburnable uh-huh. piece of wood. We're here to see this fake wood, not because we're actually going to build a deck, but because it tells the story of all that money piled up in Beijing. When Rosalia and Jackie sell this plastic wood to a plastic wood wholesaler in California, he pays them, say, $1,000. Jackie and Rosalia are glad for the business, of course, but U.S. dollars are not what they need. They need Chinese currency, renminbi. They need it to pay their workers, to pay for the raw materials that they buy from another Chinese factory. They need it for for basically everything. You cannot buy things with U.S. dollar in China. So obviously, you do want to convert that to uh, RMB. And this is where we get to that giant pool of dollars. When Rosalia wants to convert dollars to renminbi, her bank goes to China's central bank, that big building we stood in front of at the beginning. The central bank takes those U.S. dollars and it gives renminbi in return. Of course, it's not just Rosalia doing this. It's every exporter in this giant country. And critically, China sells more stuff to the rest of the world than it buys from the rest of the world. So these dollars, they pile up at the central bank. But this doesn't really explain why the pile of money is so big. There is something else going on here. The reason the pile is so big is that China manipulates its currency. This is a phrase you hear in the U.S. Usually you hear people complaining about it. And this phrase, manipulating currency, it's sort of a charged phrase. So, you know, if you want to be diplomatic about it, you might say China is managing its currency. Most of the world's major currencies, the U.S. dollar, the British pound, the euro, they trade on the open market. The British pound rises and falls, gets stronger or weaker based on how many people want British pounds. But China's currency, it doesn't work like this. China's central bank just decides this is how much the renminbi is worth. And for years, China's central bank has kept the renminbi artificially weak. The central bank has done this in order to help people like Jackie and Rosalia, in order to help exporters. A weak renminbi means Chinese exports are cheaper in other countries. It means Rosalia and Jackie's flooring is cheaper in California. So China exports more stuff. The economy keeps growing. But this leads to a big imbalance. China has more exports than imports, and all those U.S. dollars keep piling up at the central bank. Having a pile of trillions of dollars, it sounds good, but it presents some real problems. First of all, it's not money the government can just spend. That's not how central banks work. You can't just take the money and go on a shopping spree. You have to store it somewhere. You have to put it somewhere safe. And there is basically one safe place on the planet to put a trillion U.S. dollars, U.S. Treasury bonds. In other words, you have to lend those dollars back to the U.S. government. And this is largely what China's central bank does. The People's Bank of China holds over a trillion dollars of U.S. Treasury bonds. This makes China incredibly vulnerable to what goes on in the U.S. economy. The pile of dollars, it's also a problem for the United States. Some economists point to this as a major cause of the housing bubble in the United States. China being so willing to lend to us pushed interest rates down in the United States, made it easier to get low-interest mortgages. If you heard the This American Life show on the housing crisis, the giant pool of money, this is a big part of that giant pool of money. And China keeping its currency weak, it's bad for the U.S. in another way. It makes U.S. products more expensive in China. This hurts U.S. companies that want to sell stuff in China. So I think we're all in agreement. China's giant pool, it's a problem. Last year, the head of China's central bank said publicly, quote, foreign exchange reserves have exceeded our country's rational demand, which is basically the way a central banker says, our pile of dollars has gotten too big. So how do you fix this? 
Basically, China has to stop monkeying with its exchange rate. And this is actually starting to happen now. The renminbi is starting to get stronger. And for Jackie and Rosalia, in the short term, this is hard. So that means I'm making much less. That's a bad man. We lost much. <laughs> so what does that mean for your business? Uh, Pain. Painful. <laughs> and yes, a stronger renminbi is hard on their export business. But there is also a flip side to a stronger renminbi means it's now cheaper for Jackie and Rosalia to buy stuff from the rest of the world. So there's a solution to their business problem. And here, Rosalia says the words that every American manufacturer and politician longs to hear. Actually, we will love to buy product from U.S. We have seen what is happening in China. So we believe the market needs to turn. Our exporters, Jackie and Rosalia, they are thinking of becoming importers. They're not sure what they're going to import, maybe medical devices. But Rosalia says the U.S. brand is really strong in China. People associate Made in America with quality. And people in China, they're getting richer now. They can afford to buy American goods. If Jackie and Rosalia do start importing stuff from the U.S., this process we've been talking about for the whole podcast, it'll start to go into reverse. Jackie and Rosalia, instead of going to the central bank and saying, we have some dollars, please give us renminbi, they'll be doing the opposite. They'll be saying, we want to trade our renminbi for dollars so we can buy some stuff from the U.S. China government has made much U.S. dollar in hand. You know, everybody knows that. Uh, so, so that means now it's a good uh, chance to use the U.S. dollar to buy something than sell in China. Try to start spending the giant pile of money. these dollars here. Are you going to start buying stuff from us with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, this would be a happy ending for this story. As Chinese people get richer, they buy more stuff from the U.S. and other countries, and global trade comes back into balance. And that pile of U.S. dollars in China, it would stop growing. One day, those dollars, they might even start coming back home. You're getting too close. You're getting too close to your soul. As always, we want to hear from you. You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. You can find us on the blog at npr.org slash money. And Facebook and Twitter and Spotify. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Jacob Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Go ahead and reionize yourself. Give yourself a hand. The hand is yours. And you go ahead and dig it out. Go ahead and stretch it out.